Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and today is Friday, the ninth day of May. And today we are reading from the Big Book. We are in the chapter, How It Works, and we are on page 60. We are going to begin reading with the third paragraph that starts with being convinced, and we are going to read through to... Uh, the, a second paragraph that ends with varied traits. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Heidi, the 12 Traditions, Sarah W., and then Sharon, Hoodie, Kim, and Lauren. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday, the eighth day of May, is 6291, 6291. OI Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that. People who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Heidi to please read the 12 steps. Yes, good morning. My name is Heidi. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater, and here are our 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Heidi. I will now ask Sarah W. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, everybody. Uh, good morning, Monica. Thank you for your service. My name is Sarah W. 
a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Iowa. These are the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, thus problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. And COA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Sarah W. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter, How It Works. We are on page 60. We are going to begin reading with the third paragraph that starts being convinced, and we are reading two paragraphs. The first one is for contents, and then please keep your comments to the second paragraph. And with that, I'm going to ask Sharon R.S. to get us started. Well, thank you, Monica. Good morning to you and good morning to the visionaries that are on the phone. I'm Sharon and I am a uh, recovered compulsive overeater. Being convinced, we were at step three. 
which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that? And just what do we do? The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On the basis, on that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or someone, even though our motives are good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If a his arrangements would only stay put. If only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, He may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But as with most humans, he is most likely to have varied traits. So this is a paragraph that I've been reflecting on quite a bit recently because I seem to go in and out. Sometimes I can trust my higher power to run the show and sometimes I take it back into my own hands and there I am again trying to to run the whole show. But why can't I run the whole show? Why why not be able to imagine life as I want it, imagine everybody where they should be and it come out the way that I think it should be. Why Why can't that be the case? And I can only, well, we see what happens when, when this person tried to run the show. It just doesn't work. You can't be the director, the actor or actress, the lighting uh, director, the stagehand, it's impossible for someone who's finite and we're finite. I'm finite. There's only so much that I can do. God is infinite. I am finite. And what we are told is that in order to recovery, it, in order to recover, we have to accept our humanity. We have to accept that we're not God. We have to accept that we're limited, that we are flawed. And we are told that the first requirement, the first requirement of turning our will and our life over is that we become convinced, we must become convinced that a life run on self-will can hardly be a success. That means I cannot run my own life. I cannot run my own life. I cannot go around trying to arrange the stage and everyone else. And 
one of the things when I look at who my higher power is, and we did have to accept that a power greater than ourselves to begin this pathway of recovery, when I examined what my God would look like and what I would want my God to be, and we we're able to do that according to the big book, we, change, we, we choose our own conception of God. And I decided to try out the conception of God as my director and my lover, not, not in a sexual sense, but as someone who loves me intimately, who cares for me, who wants the best for me, who is looking out for me, who believes in me and wants to see me be the best that I can be. And that love for me is in my director and directing my life. And so I can trust the, that, that lover, that director, to, to run the show, to run my life because of the care, because of the love that my director has for me. And I want to, the other thing that I, I want to say is that uh, in conclusion, is oh gosh and now I'm blanking on it but but God as director as the divine leader of my life I can be I can know that I am being told and directed in the right way and so I have to have that connection and the thing that I was going to say is I thought that even with God directing my life I still needed to know on the stage of life and I like to imagine that I am on a stage and that God is telling me what to do and where to go. I still thought that I needed to know everything. And then someone who is actually an actor said, Sharon, you don't need to know what everyone else is doing. You don't even need to know the theme or the plot. You just need to do what you're told. You just need to act your role fully and to your best ability. Act, do what the director tells. Keep your eye on the director. Keep it in your mind, your heart, your soul. And when you go into your life, do your act. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing or not doing, what they should or shouldn't be doing. Don't look at them and think that you should be doing what they're doing, have what they have, be what they are. Just act your role. Trust that you're doing what your higher power has told you, what your director has told you. In the end, your higher, your the director is the one that puts it all together into a wonderful performance. And, and then you can look at the end result and see how beautiful it turns out. But while you're in the, the motion of life, just play the role that you've been given and let trust that everything else is going to come together. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. And would anyone like to share on this second paragraph today? Sarah? Sarah. Go ahead, Sarah. Uh, good morning, Monica. Good morning, everybody. My name is Sarah. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. Um, you know, I like the first two sentences on this is, uh, are really important to me. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. 
and I know for myself, you know, it, it's really, you know, fear-driven when I'm trying to push and, and tug, and um, and I know that, you know, not only do I try to run my life, but everybody else's when I'm fear-driven like that. And, um, you know, it talks about our motives. And, you know, I think that's such an important part of our program, you know, that our motives be pure, that, that you know, what, what, our, what our direction is, is, you know, really God-centered. And um, I know for myself, when I'm, when I'm fear-driven or when I'm, uh, when I'm looking to get something out of something, you know, I'm always um, disconnected not only from my higher power, but I'm always disconnected from other people. I'm either judging or intolerant or um, feeling threatened uh, or feeling, you know, insecure. But when I just um, really let go and really um, decide that, and, and I look at my history, I look at my history of how I've, um, how I've tried to um, control because that's really what it's about. It's about the fear, and that's why I head into that control place. Um, you know, I, I'm always left standing, you know, alone and and insecure and and um, and just almost like I'm in a pit by myself, and there's nobody there, and there's no way out. But when I really let go and I accept what what life is bringing me and what life is bringing to others and just try to be the vessel through which God can work, my life just runs so much smoother. But I have to get to that place a lot of times, you know. The only way sometimes I'm teachable is through pain. (laughs) And fortunately, you know, that's the way it was. And today what I can say is that I've had enough practice in the pain that I know that if I let go, that I can really have true serenity. And I'm so grateful for that today. And um, I wish you all the best, and um, have a great day. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Okay, well, this is Monica, and I'll jump in here for a moment. And um, today, um, what are we reading here in the big book? We are reading about being convinced. Are we convinced? The first requirement is that we be convinced. And I was, my sponsor had me read this whole section of this book, starting with A through to 63, to personalize it and put it in present tense. So the first requirement, there's somebody who's not muted. Can you please mute your phone? We're getting a lot of background noise. The first requirement is that I be convinced that my life run on self-will, my thinking can hardly be a success. On that basis, I am, almost, I am always in collision with something or somebody, even though my motives are good. And so the big book here is, is trying to teach us, it's putting it down in black and white here for me to see, for me to identify with. What happens when I try to run the show? when my thinking is trying to control everything and everybody. And it's trying to show me that my thinking, my way, is not successful and never will be. 
and my own personal history has shown that to me. You know, decades of it. That my way, my thinking, just got me into trouble. Just made me restless, irritable, and discontented. And so they're trying to get us to see here that, you know, in step three, that I need to turn, to turn my will and my life, to turn my thinking and my actions over to a higher power. And so they're just going to be giving us a lot of of, uh, explicit uh, black and white examples here. What happens when Monica tries to run the show? And I can't. I'm finite, and um, it just doesn't work. And with that, I'll pass. And would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Barbara? Barbara. Go ahead, Barbara. This is Sharon in Colorado. Thank you. All right, Barbara and then Sharon. Thanks. Thank you. This is Barbara. I'm a recovered compulsive reader in Massachusetts. This is one of the most important passages for me in this section because, uh, to begin with, It took a lot of convincing for me to see that I definitely uh, couldn't manage my own life, and I certainly, the the less I could manage my own life, the more I felt I needed to work very hard to manage everyone else's. And in coming to recovery and coming to this program, um, I was so drawn to this because it it was something I could see in every detail of my life, even to having my family over for a holiday celebration, I not only needed to direct every aspect of who, where, when, where to stand, where to sit, I had to write in my mind the entire script. And that idea of scripting life and scripting even a a family celebration made me uh, restless, irritable, discontent, hungry. So it was a it was one of the big reasons for going to food with all of that frustration, and one of the big reasons to going to um, self pity and all the other negative feelings that this program is designed to uh, turn around. Um, and a sponsor, God bless her, and I think of it, and I've said it often, said to me, Barbara, when all else fails, follow directions. Well, I didn't like it at all. But I had to see that all else had failed. It had failed in every area of my life the way I was doing it. And I did need to do as I was told, follow the directions in the book, follow the directions and wisdom of people who had gone before me, and ultimately coming to see that God has a much better script and a much better plan than I could ever write or begin to, to, you know, to execute and to bring into reality. Um, the big, you know, thing for me is to be, as it says, utterly convinced the word is repeated. Uh, Because until I am, until I've, you know, gone down far enough and been beaten over the head by food and my other ways, there's no way I'm going to turn my will and my life over to any person, uh, no matter how um, experienced and how many steps ahead of me that person is, or ultimately to God, because I had spent so much of my life being the pilot, not the co-pilot, and being the director, and not being just one of the many, as they say, and I never liked the expression, being one of the bozos on the bus. I mean, I had to be the driver or else. Uh, So uh, thank God for the 
inspired way of, of expressing this. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Barbara. Sharon, you're next. Thank you, Monica. This is Sharon, recovered compulsive overeater in Colorado. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, okay. Thanks. Um, uh, I'm just going to zero in on two of those first few sentences. Um, <clears throat> first, we had to be convinced, and you know, I I didn't get convinced until I started listening to this uh, Vision for You meeting, and we were in the Roman numerals, which I'd never been in, and then those were uh, the forwards to the fourth edition, and then into the doctor's opinion, and then on to all these pages up to page 60 then, where um, that's that process of, of me being convinced that I did have a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body when it came to food. And I had not seen that the way I needed to see it before. So then the first requirement is that we be convinced and, you know, again, that this life that I ran on South Will would hardly be a success and I was always in collision with something or somebody, even though I thought my motives were good. And, um, you know, it wasn't until I started going through this process and following these directions and going step by step, line by line, paragraph by paragraph, and just following exactly what um, these directions were showing me. And I did, I did hear, use this like a textbook, so I sit at my kitchen table and I have my notebook open and I'm making notes on these few paragraphs that we get through and now I'm going through it the book for the second time and by God's grace uh, and working these steps I am being set free um, an example is one of the situations um, in my own family is I have three daughters and two of my daughters have chosen to not speak to each other now for quite some time and as a mother coming up on Mother's Day, that grieves my heart. And for so long, while I was still in this eating addiction, I felt that I needed somehow to, to fix that and help them see the light and all the things they were missing and blah, blah, blah. And so as a result of this, um, working these steps, I have been able to um, give them to God, place them in God's loving, protective care, and maintain a relationship with with all three of my daughters without uh, ever trying to convince either one of them that they need to uh, lay down their guns and, and uh, love each other again. So interestingly enough, I got a text message yesterday from one of my daughters because I'd been with her on Sunday and she said, did you tell, which would be my other daughter, uh, that you were with me on Sunday and did you this and did you that? and you know, my first reaction was, oh, no, not again. And then it was like, okay, God, let me respond to this in the way you would want me to do, just short and to the point. And that's what I did. However, I had sent it to someone else besides my daughter um, responding to that text. But, you know, the miracle was that person let me know that, so I realized it and was able to send it on to my daughter and I was able to respond back to that person and say, oh, my gosh, I, I sure did, and I apologize, and, um, you know, I made a mistake, and not beat myself up because I made a mistake, and how could I have done that, and, and that's the way my mind always went 
I have a very unquiet mind, restless, irritable, and discontent, and it will lead me back to the food as it has over and over again if I don't listen to what these paragraphs are telling me to do and helping me see the truth, not my truth, because my truth is rooted in a foundation of lies and distorted ideas and thinking that I have to fix everything when I can't even can't even fix my own life. So I am just so grateful to be here today. Thank you for all of the service that all of you do, that you are on this line every day so that I can just uh, plug in to hear what I need to hear because I have to hear it over and over again. So thank you, Monica, and with that I pass. Who just spoke? Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to comment before we move on? Janice. Okay, I heard Laura, Lorna, and Janice. Lauren, Lauren, sorry. Go ahead, Lauren, and then Janice. Okay. Oh, my gosh, guys on the line. Lauren S., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. This, This part of the book is perhaps one of my favorite parts because it seeps into my daily language constantly. Where am I still trying to run the show my way? Recovered. Doesn't matter. I still try to run the show, you know, in little areas of my life. Like dating and school and and -and so-and-so. Okay. There is a requirement for me to consider my life run on my will before taking the third step. The next two pages are going to help me look at this and the how and the why of it on page 62. I did this. Maybe this will help you guys. Go back to page 52, paragraph 2, and consider the bedevilments. Asking with each, has self-will failed me here? And another practice that I did when I was reading these paragraphs from page 60 to um, 62 was whenever the word his was there, or even after, I substituted that for Lauren. So, you know, have I tried to live by self-propulsion and then Continuing on 61, Lauren's arrangements would only stay put if only people would do as Lauren wished. Everybody, including Lauren, would be pleased. You know, Lauren may be kind. Consider it. And then, on the other hand, Lauren may be mean egotistical. However, Lauren is more likely to have varied traits. And that was so true for me. And yes, today I'm abstinent. However, I can still try to run the show, having varied traits and being considerate and then being egotistical when I don't let God run the show. So this, you know, we're on step three. This has nothing to do about the food. This has everything to do with our true internal malady, which is our selfishness. And uh, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren. Janice, you're up. 
Thank you, Monica. I don't know what's left for me. But anyway, um, my name is Janice M., and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Yes, it's telling us here is this is step three. Now, we have to make a decision. Um, What do we have to make? What is the decision? The decision is that, okay, do I have to change or do I not have to change? You know, if I'm convinced that I am powerless, that I need somebody else, I need another power, all right, well, the first requirement is that I'm going to make that decision to change. And to change, decision is a decision without action. So I'm, gonna, I'm making a decision that I'm going to do something different. What am I going to do different on a daily basis? I'm going to try to overcome self. Because like it was said on page 52, How's it going for you, Janice? Does that sound like Monica? How's it going for you? You know, could I? Was I having trouble with personal relationships, et cetera, et cetera? Yes, 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 yes. Check, 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 check. Now, if I still have reservations, which I did for decades because I still thought that, ooh, there's something that I can do, I can do to change this, to control this, to to control my family or to, to, to talk somebody into doing it my way. If I still have reservations at this point, there's no sense of me going on. Because if I'm not really powerless here and I don't feel it's essential for me to or the first requirement, I don't feel that it's essential that, that I need some other power, there's no sense of me going on. I should, you know, I'm not convinced yet. I'm really not convinced yet. So the reservations, the reservations that the self can, like I can still do something about my disease and about people, that I can overcome myself, it's got to be smashed because it's not going to work. And believe you me, I did it for years. I had reservations. You people told me, you know, this is the way. And I went, ooh, no, I don't think it's the last house on the street. I wasn't convinced. I was still into myself. So, you know, uh, I have to be, you know, my mind has to have a conclusion without any reservation before I make a decision to do some action. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. So let's move on to the next paragraph and see what happens when we continue to use our self-thinking. Anne Hoodie, could you read for us, please? Good morning, Monica. This is Hoodie, a recovered compulsive overeater. What usually happens? The show doesn't cost very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He becomes on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious, as the case may be. Still, the play does not suit him. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is sure that other people are more to blame. He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can rest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if he only manages well? Is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate? Snatching all they can get out of the show? Is he not, even in his best moments, a producer producer of confusion, 
rather than serenity. Wow. In this paragraph, um, um, there's not really much more that, you know, I could possibly even share from what was read. The three books did a pretty good job on explaining. If I just um, would take the um, take this par- take this paragraph and substitute I for he. Um, I I fit this description well. And the description of this disease, this disease is is really um, you know it's so convincing. Looking back at my life, and I see how I I I I I, I the whole emotion. And it was it says um, you know, and I read it in the A twelve and twelve. On page um, on page ninety, it is a spiritual axiom that every time we are disturbed, no matter what the cause, there is something wrong with us, with us, not with me, not with the other person. And um, you know, yes, and this is the unmanageability of my life. Unmanageability. I do not know how to live. And on here, I thought the problem was the food. No, this this is past the food. We're into step three already, and how it works. And um, you know, let's let's continue with this action. I am ready to do something different. I'm ready to change, change the way of my of my old attitudes and ideas, and um, and accept accept a new way, accept a new way, because my way just led me into more depression, anger, self pity, um, and more reflection. And today, I, I'm I'm going to grow up. I'm going to take 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 these action steps. And work them through so I could live in um, a new new life, a new life. And with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Hoodie. And would li- would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Lorraine, Kim. Lorraine and Kim. Kim. Go ahead, Lorraine, and then it'll be Kim. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, Hoodie. Uh, the reason I want to share today is because my my I suffer from low self-esteem, and I feel very very uh, in, intimidated to speak up. However, today I'm going to allow that part of my ego to go, and I'm going to share. I have a situation in my life that always causes me pain and suffering. Uh, I have a son-in-law, an ex-son-in-law, who I have to be around today. My granddaughter is in a play at school. Uh, and my daughter will be there, and my daughter lost my granddaughter a couple years ago through a drug addiction, prescription drug addiction. So my granddaughter lives with my ex-son-in-law, which is painful for any grandmother to see, since he has moved on and had two more children uh, with his, quote, live in love. Um, I still have resentment towards that, so bottom line is, is I thank God for the program today because I can go there and there will be pain. I know it. Before I go there, there's always that feeling of pain that my daughter does not have my granddaughter. I could go there today and I could know deep down in my heart that I could sit there and enjoy that play that my granddaughter's in and let all the rest go. There were many, many times I couldn't. I went there, could not even... I could not even see my granddaughter, whatever she was doing. I was too much in anger, resentment, and pain, my own pain that I caused. So I'm very, very grateful right at this moment. I may not be grateful at 2 o'clock, but today, for this moment, I'm grateful that I have a program 
because so many people out there live in hate and anger and judgment, and I have a way out of that. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Lorraine. Kim, you're up. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. You know, we learned in the previous chapter that we have this self-imposed crisis, and the big book is making a really good case here of why it is self-imposed. My greatest impediment is me, is me. And I, too, like Hoodie, take these questions and put them in I form just to remind myself how it, I am creating my misery. I am the architect of my own misery. And one of the most powerful ones for me is, am I not the victim of the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only I manage well? And doesn't that describe most of my misery through my life? The problem is I can't make my family do what I want. And if I just try a little harder, if I just... If I am able to rest satisfaction and happiness, if I can manage better, then my family will be happy and ultimately I will be happy. And that is the delusion, the delusion, the idea, the fixed idea that I have control and not only over me, but all the people around me. And if I can make these, you know, rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic, that I can, I can find some relief. And what I find is the more that I exert myself, whether it's gracious or whether it's vicious, and that's one of the things I had to look at. I think a lot of us come in here thinking, well, I'm a people pleaser. The problem is I think of others too much. And let me tell you what my people pleasing meant. I am going to manipulate you to the point that I feel comfortable. I am going to be nice to you so you can tell other people how wonderful I am. I am so nervous that people are going to be upset that I'm going to be nice to you so I can be comfortable. So it wasn't about me trying to please them. It was about me trying to be comfortable enough and using you as a way to be comfortable. And if I can just manage that better, then I'm not going to need to eat. So is that the delusion I'm under? Absolutely. And one of the things I love about this big book is we're doing this in step three is the big book will meet us where we are and it will elevate us from there. So I often use these questions here as meditations as part of my 11th step. So I might change it. If I'm having difficulty with my mother, I might get quiet with God and say, God, am I not the victim of the delusion, delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of my mother if only I manage well? If I'm having difficulty at work, I get quiet. God, am I not the victim of the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of my job if only I manage well? And they're trying to get us to the point that no matter how hard we try to manage, no matter how much we're in collision with someone else, no matter how much we try to live by self-propulsion, how does that work for us? Because I'll tell you where managing well got me. It got me crawling into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. So I think it's very important that we ask ourselves these questions. How is this working for us? And I had to admit, because I was powerless and I was screwed, and because I need this power, I was going to be propelled to make this decision to seek this power because the big book here is making a case of why my self-will 
my self-management, my self-whatever was killing me. The food was but a symptom. It is my selfishness and self-centeredness that is the root of my trouble. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? This, this is, is Katie F. Yeah, I hmm? comment. Okay, I heard Katie and I heard someone else. Paula. Paula, and I think there was someone else. 2G. Pardon? 2G. Suji? Yes. Okay, so Katie, Paula, and Suji. Katie, go ahead. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And this whole section is just so freeing to me because, you know, I put so much pressure on myself to arrange life and, and think I am so responsible and so, you know, as other people have put it, like I'm, you know, I'm caring about everybody else. And when I read this, I realize it's like, you know, I'm on a runaway train trying to steer it. And then all of a sudden, I realize that I don't have to be the conductor, that someone else is taking, um, taking that job. And that job is God. I am not responsible for other people's actions. And when I just pull myself out of the middle of the stage and, you know, sit back and, um, do what God wants me to do, my life gets so much simpler. Um, You know, I can focus on just what my part is, not on everybody else's part. As, you know, Sharon uh, said earlier, Sharon RS, that, you know, we don't have to memorize the other person's line. I don't have to do someone else's part. I just have to do my own part. And that has been, you know, and continues to be, just a huge relief to me, but I forget it. I forget it on a daily basis and wake up, you know, worried about this and thinking about that. And, you know, 99% of what I worry about never even happens. And so, you know, my next action is to get on my knees and turn all those worries over to God and say, you know, sorry, God, I took these back today. I realize they're yours. And what do you want me to do? What is my job today? As a recovered uh, woman, uh, an employee, uh, a wife, a mother, a member of society, what is my role? Not my uh, directing everyone else because, you know, I got fired from that job. I did not manage my own life well, let alone anyone else's. And so this is just so... um, you know, I don't. I don't need to uh, get into angry, indignant, self-pitying, you know, self-loathing, all these self-directed, negative places that I can go uh, when I forget who and what I am, which is a recovered person who is not on the show. And I'm just so grateful to uh, have this reality today. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Paula, you're up. Thank you, Monica, and thank you for your service. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsible Reader. You know, reading these paragraphs, uh, let me go first. Listening to these paragraphs and reading along, just reading along is exhausting. It's exhausting. Up and down, back and forth, good motives, bad motives, arranging that play, 
How about living it? How about living it? It was exhausting. Because it says here, each person is like an actor. There, I'll raise my hand here. Who wants to run the whole show? I wasn't content with the part. Not a part. I want to have any and all parts. Not only would I tell you how to act when I couldn't even act the same way. Be courteous. I wasn't even being courteous. Right there. Right there. I'll tell you what to do, how to say it, how to look, when I couldn't even do it myself. If his arrangements would only stay put, we are talking about people. People. And there it goes again. If only people would do, and I love this, yeah, you can put he, she, I, I wish. The show would be great. Can I tell you it never was? Because because they're people, it was always in flux, always in movement. That is life. But I want to go right down, and I'll end it right here. On the other hand, on the other hand, honey, use one, both, two, switch them off. Still, no matter which hand, which hand, it was always I in control. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. And Sue G., you're next. Hi, this is Sue G., a recovered compulsive eater. Very grateful, and thanks for all your service and all the participation. Well, my spiritual awakening continues, and I think that's what it means to, to work this program. We continue to work it for the rest of our lives. My my path has led me to a little study with with the guidance, good orderly direction of the higher power here. Um, I had this little awakening that my road into this fellowship is really the same as everybody's experience of this 12-step fellowship or fellowship. And that that I, when I looked at my my efforts to run the show, I saw I was filled with blame and judgment. And I needed help from another fellowship which dealt with my codependency to get to this fellowship. And so I've come to look at it, and I think this is part of the the process of, of my recovery that's probably true for all of us in one way or another. Not everybody went to another fellowship first. I did. What's my experience from that? I I learned in that fellowship to deal with a deeply troubling part of myself and to accept the help of the higher power with that. And that was this thing I'm calling the codependent within, the the person who wanted to try to manage other people's lives. And who did I learn the most on (laughs) or from, eventually from, not on, uh, that's why I stopped afflicting them with my codependent self. I learned the most from the addicts in my life. And I learned that I needed to treat them with respect, to not expect that I was going to help them by enabling them, that I'd better get out of their way, that I, I didn't cause it, I can't control it, I can't cure it, but I sure did contribute. So I had to learn not to, not to contribute that money at the bank that I needed to, to step away 
And um, there's a prayer that I learned from um, all of this experience, which goes, if I am willing to stand aside and let God's will be done, I free myself from personal anxiety and the mistaken sense of responsibility. Now, I went through this fellowship, and I very often saw the sunlight of the spirit, but it, it wasn't completely unblocked in me. And I had to face another fact. Who were these addicts? Because I, I accept the co-addict within, and, and I accept that I can't control the addict without. Well, there was another addict without. That was me, an addict without complete recovery. That was the overeater, the compulsive eater, the one that was not quite admitting my powerlessness over something. And so my, my route to the sunlight of the spirit wasn't complete. And that's what I needed to do in this fellowship so I could carry the message. What is the message? It's the message of the 12 steps, all 12 of them, living in 10, 11, and 12, returning to any one of them that I need to. And it's usually all the way back to step one. And it's to something else, which is to, to kind of take an inventory. Am I honest? Am I open? Am I willing? How much so? And when I take an inventory, I am seeking the help of the higher power. And that's the action that step three leads us to. And you don't get to the action without accepting the surrender. You have to surrender yourself, whatever that means to you. And, and the higher power will help you to find out what that is. And the higher power speaks through the message, which is simply the step. You do step four after step three, you will find out some of the things that are getting in your way of, of accepting help. And that's what my problem was as both a codependent and an addict, that it's, it's acceptance of help. And I, I actually heard that from a very good therapist long before I ever got to a 12-step program. He said, we will have to figure out, we, that meant he was still with me even if I left because I was leaving all right. I didn't like this. We, that is God, other human beings, plural, and myself, I, I will have to find out why don't I accept help. And, and that's what I've found out in, in the course of my 12-step programs, plural, which allow me to tolerate both addicts and co-addicts. Who's that? Me inside. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Suji. And we have come to the end of our time here this morning. And I would like to thank everyone who has shared. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Kim, can you read for us from A Vision for You, please? Thank you, Monica. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. 
you shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.